Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortellini's podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lowy. Super excited uh, today because we have an incredibly special guest in Cristiano Oliveira. One of my day ones on here, friend who I've known for a long time. And uh, I'm really excited to have him on because we've tried to go with a different angle so far this season in terms of Cortellini's, in terms of trying to really you know, not focus as much on the big teams, but focus really on the Primera Liga as a whole. And that means not giving priority to any team, but focusing on, yes, your Benfica, your Porto and Sporting, but also your Marichimo, Gil Vicente, Moreranch, so on and so on. If, if you haven't yet, check out my thread on Gil Vicente and the Caso Mateus um, that I posted on Saturday on my Twitter page. You know, as, as great as that has been, and I think that's what separates us from a lot of other podcasts, the Cortellini's podcast, and that's why Cristiano, uh, one of my best friends on here, has not come yet so far this season because he's really a guy who, not trying to throw you under the bus, but you don't watch that much Portuguese football outside of your beloved Benfica. Um, so- I do. I do. And I'm trying to put my daughter to sleep. I put on some <laughs> some lower. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I absolutely love Portuguese football. Zach, thank you very much for bringing me on the Corta Lingas podcast once again. It's always a pleasure to be on here with you. And today, it's a special topic. It's Sport Benfica. And ladies and gentlemen, that's my specialty. So I'll leave all the other stuff for you guys and I'll stick to Benfica because there's tons and tons of uh, topics that we could just choose on here. And we, we spent hours speaking about Benfica. So it's always a pleasure to be on with you, Zach. And, you know, uh, my, you know, I'm, I'm just like you, bro. You know, I adore speaking football. I adore being on here. And you are one of my day ones. So don't, you know, don't let wifey hear that, but you're one of my day ones. <laughs> If you haven't, uh, check out Cristiano's Twitter account. A must-follow. Really excited to have him on, as I said. So, you know, Benfica have had a very good start to the season. Coming off, of course, their first loss of the season, which we discussed on last week's show with Ines Braga Sampaio. Definitely check that out as well, where, you know, they definitely dominated, but but ended up losing to Portimonech via goal from Lucas Posignolo. Before we get into last weekend's news, we have to go back a year or so ago. So last summer, in the summer of 2020, uh, Benfica spent a record amount of money on players. They brought in the likes of Darwin Nunes. uh, 25 mil. 25 mil. um, uh, Everton Cibolina. Everton Cibolina. Another 22, 23 mil. Pedrinho. 18 mil. Vertonghen was a free signing. I mean, you know, so that one doesn't really get same thing. Look, the other one that, that it, it gets thrown in the right. numbers, the final tally, which is Otamendi, but we all know Otamendi, they had to balance the books with Man City. So in reality, it looks like Ruben Diaz went to City for 63 and then Benfica paid 15 million for the other guy. So, you know, it is. The, the goal of that was to bring in, was to improve their results drastically after losing the title to Porto. Didn't quite work out that way, though. As we know, Benfica failed to get into the Champions League group stage, which caused them to sell Ruben Diaz due to lack of money. Uh, and, of course, bring in Nicolas Otamendi, who I would say has, has been very good so far. And is and that season, the first season under George Jesus, who, let's remember, was coming off a near-perfect campaign with Flamengo. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, it was a complete disappointment. Jesus had more titles than he had losses at Flamengo. So that goes to tell yeah. the expectations of this guy coming back to the loose, right? When you yeah. look back at his first spell at Benfica, which was phenomenal, I was giddy. I was I was running around my block butt naked. You know, that's how excited I was. I was ecstatic. And then all of a sudden, you go into that first game against Paok when everybody expected Benfica to come in, put in their strongest lineup. They just spent a gazillion amount of bucks. And you're thinking they're just going to demolish these guys in Novell, who's doing a phenomenal job at Palmeiras now, right? And... Benfica absolutely dropped the ball. They lose two to one in that game. Unfortunately for Benfica, we all know, I think taking away your Benfica rose colored glasses, right? You still felt that Benfica was capable of winning that game. And you knew if there was a second leg, Benfica would have beaten them two, three, nothing at the, if not more at the start of the lose. But unfortunately it was one of those because of COVID, everything was changed around. Benfica only had one leg to, to, to make up the difference. And they go into Paok into Greece. They lose two to one. And then to top it all off, the kick in the nuts was a player that Benfica released just a couple of weeks earlier. Zalvik scores the game-winning goal, which ultimately they, they went up 2-0. He scored a second goal and then ultimately wound up being the game-winning goal. So, yeah, you know, an embarrassing, 
um, the total, you know, plane crash of a start for Benfica last season. Um, and then, look, with all the crazy expectations coming to that season, right then and there, you let the balloon, uh, you let the air right out of the balloon. And it was just, Benfica was trying to pick up the pieces after that. They started well, believe it or not, in the season, but then they lost to Volvisa 3 0. And then that was it, man. The, the wheels came off the wagon, and it was just tough, tough, tough to get these guys back on track. Benfica, of course, spending 105 million euros in the midst of a pandemic year. Um, and yet it was a player, Andrija Zivkovic, who they had released, they had released from his contract just, just a few weeks prior, mm-hmm. uh, knocking them out of the Champions League. It really gives you um, a good idea of, of what their season was. But, you know, apart from improving their results, I, I would argue that one of the biggest end goals of, of this unprecedented really unprecedented investment is the, the fact that Luis Felipe Vieira was set to take part in election within an election, which of course he won with uh, 62.59 percentage of the vote on October 28th, the lowest percentage he has ever obtained, but still enough to win the election um, and defeat João Noronha Lopes. And yet just a few months after that, a few months after winning that election, it just so happens that Rui Costa ended up becoming the interim president. Can you explain, can you shed some light to the neutrals here? Why, why our beloved Luis Felipe Vieira had to leave the club uh, that he had presided over after a historic 18-year spell? Well, <laughs> where do I start? So Luis Vieira had been under tons of pressure by the Saucius and whether you supported him or not, it was just the, the fact that Benfica was dropping titles um, in domestically, at least in a manner that they were. And they weren't dominating in domestic competitions. Benfica, we all know, even in bad seasons, they still turn out the most fans. They turn out the most money. And so they should never be in those positions where we're not even qualifying for Champions League, for Champions League football. And then there's a lot of people that will tell you that the reason why Benfica spent that boatload of money was in order for this guy to win the elections. And look, credit to him. If that, that was his intention, it worked out. He won the election in 20, uh, as you stated, October 2020. Fast forward about eight months or whatever it was to May, June, May. And he'd been associated. He'd been named um, in, in, a, in, in a bunch of different uh, accusations and, 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 and whatnot. And then finally, you know, the Portuguese authorities came up with something. I had a warrant, came in to start to lose, did what they had to do and locked my man up, took him in. And he had to, uh, by default, he had to, to, to step away from Benfica. And then Rui Costa took over the reins. And there was a lot of people that were talking about the legality of that. If Rui Costa was the self-anointed, you know, uh, president or not, could you, could you appoint yourself the president? But at the same time, look, the house was burning and somebody needed to take the reins and need to take control of the situation or else the whole building will come up, uh, come apart. And Rui Costa did that, came in and for three months started announcing that, look, I'm, we're going to have elections. We're going to have for the first time since 20, uh, since 2000 or 2001, there was an actual debate of the presidential candidates on Benfica TV. Um, there was a lot of different changes in those three months on the Rui Costa. We all knew it was just a matter of fact, you know, it was like, wasting your time with these elections because Noronha Lopes announced that he was dropping out. He wasn't running again this year. And then really there wasn't much opposition. And the one guy that came in stepped up from the group, Servido Benfica, uh, Francisco Benitez, and he didn't really, uh, you know, he, he wasn't one of those people that instilled confidence in you going forward. But there he was. He was the only guy that stepped up, that had the balls to step up to Ricosta in the big bad Benfica and stepped up there, went to Benfica TV, did his debate. And I think that debate hurt him more than it helped him. But either way, we all thought it was just formality. Rui Costa, the maestro, the guy that many people, like myself, um, have idolized. Um, and he won. He won by a you know, devastating uh, margin. I think he won like 86 or eight, whatever it was, percent of the vote, which is the, the greatest ever, uh, biggest margin ever in the history of Benfica elections, if I'm not mistaken. And if I am, it's right around there. But I think that's the case. Benfica had a record turnout. Uh, 41,115 uh, Saucius turned out for, for, for voting. Only Barcelona worldwide had more uh, Saucius show up, which they had 56,000. So look, the Saucius showed up. And when that, when that happens, it shows you that they want change. They want 
that the Benfiquismo is still alive. For the last 10 years or so, there's been plenty of questions about if Benfica was alive because we had a one man, you know, for lack of a better word, dictator. My man was running a show. He called the shots. Um, and so everybody wanted change. And whether it was with Servito Benfica or Noronha Lopes or hopefully now with Rui Costa, that's what we're going to get because Benfica is an absolute ginormous club that is being run to the ground by puppets and clowns that have no idea what they're doing with that club. And so hopefully now Rui Costa's come in. There's a lot of people that are still blaming us. Say, look, it's the continuity of Vietnam or not. But the fact of the matter is that in his, in his, in his three months, he did change a lot, you know, transparency. He brought a lot of different things to the table. And so we just hope that he, you know, he holds true to his word and he takes Benfica back to the promised land because Benfica should be absolutely demolishing competition and in, in domestically, at least. We're not talking about challenging for the Champions League because we understand for a Portuguese club, that is a very tough thing to do today. But in Portugal, there's no reason that Benfica in a decade wins four titles. They should be winning minimum six. And I know Porto does a phenomenal job. Sporting is finally woken up, right? There's competition between those three clubs. But Benfica shouldn't go through the struggles, the ups and downs that they've gone through over the last decade. If you just look at gates, look at structure, look at, you know, uh, the, the salary cap, look at everything. Benfica should be a lot better than what they've been. And so hopefully now Ricosta brings in that change and, and takes Benfica over to the next level. Just tying a knot on uh, our discussion on the elections, a lot of criticism that, as you mentioned, you know, Luis Filipe has brought, up, brought in what, what is known as Vierismo. Are you concerned at all that this is that Rui Costa, you know, winning with with 85 percent of votes? Are you concerned that this will bring about a continuation of Vierismo? And are you are you worried that it's not going to be enough of a of, of a change that Benfica need to take the next step? Oh, absolutely. I think myself and, and, and everyone else, I think even people that voted for Rui Costa, people that support Rui Costa, that, you know, that, that have been following Rui Costa since he was nine years old when he joined Benfica and he came up with the main squad, went out on loan, came back, won the title, went to Fiorentina. I think, you know, everybody's always supported this guy. This guy's always showed that he was a Benfica at heart. And I think, you know, people will never forget that, you know, he helped the club out um, when he came back basically signed a blank check. He could have stayed at, at Milan and made more money, but he always said he was going to come back to Benfica. He was going to do his best to try and help out. And he did exactly that. And so people don't forget that. You know, he was there for the club and now I think people were there for him. That being said, I still do believe that people hoping, as I said before, they're hoping that he holds true to his work. You know, that think there's going to be a lot of people there holding him accountable because this is one of them, you know, situations that you could go from hero to zero real quick. And Rui Costa obviously has strong, very strong ties with Luis Vieira. Luis Vieira is the one that went and got him from AC Milan, brought him back to Benfica, then, you know, named him basically, you know, part of the general manager of the club, right, in American terms, and then made him his assistant president, vice president, not assistant, vice president. And so we all know that the ties between Rui Costa and Luis Vieira are very, very strong. But again, Rui Costa is his own man. Rui Costa does things his own way. And again, and in the three months where he appointed himself, call whatever he want, in the three months that he took you know, control of this club, he did do things differently. So there's a lot of hope that the future is bright. There's a lot of hope that Rui Costa does bring about that transparency that we all want and seek for so many years. So hopefully, you know, he does the right thing. And, and, and like I said before, man, I just can't can't stop saying it. I, I Pray and hope, you know, that this guy does take Benfica to the next level and put them right back where they belong. Benfica, obviously coming off that unprecedented amount of investment in the summer of 2020, somewhat tightening the first rings this past summer. We saw Pedrinho, Luca Waldschmidt, two players who, who, uh, who had joined in the previous summer, uh, departing to Shakhtar and Wolfsburg. Nuno, Nuno Tavares uh, heading to Arsenal, Franco Cervi to Celta de Vigo. You know, plenty of players leaving, not much in the way of arrivals, but we did see quite a few, just less in terms of, you know, relating back to the prior summer. And I think that, you know, we've seen Suárez, Mete, Gil Diaz, Rodrigo Pino, Nemanja, Radonjic, none of whom have, have been able to really showcase their importance under George Jesus. But one player who has become an absolutely massive part in this Benfica team, one of the biggest reasons why they're still, despite losing to Porto Manage, still uh, alone atop the Primera Liga leadership, is Roman Yaremchuk. Yaremchuk 
uh, 25-year-old Ukrainian forward joining from Ghent um, in the summer for, I believe, 17 million euros. Had 75% of his pass. 75% of his pass, exactly right. If Benfica do sell him, which they certainly will at this rate, Yaremchuk, Ghent would receive 25% of, of the transfer fee. Right. Yaremchuk grabbed himself a goal and an assist um, in Ukraine's recent victory over over Finland in, in World Cup qualifying. He, I believe, scored the opening goal against Portimonech, but it was ruled out due to a VAR. Overall, it seems like there there isn't a single game where this guy isn't at least really close to, to getting on the score sheet. Talk to me a little bit about Yaremchuk. We know that, you know, that Benfica obviously have a, a wealth of center forwards, looking at Harris Safarovic, Darwin Nunes, and, and you saw, of course, Carlos Vinicius leaving on loan to PSV. What, what would you say is, is the X factor? What, what, is, what is different about this Yaremchuk in comparison to the others? I think you combine the other four strikers on this roster. And you bring up Sverovic, who's been injured. He got injured first game in the playoffs for the Champions League. And he's, you know, he hasn't really recovered from that. You have Gonzalo Rums, a young kid that scores goals against his youth, uh, against his age, uh, you know, competition, tears him apart. Uh, you got Pinto that came from Maritim, was another guy that, you know, could put the ball in the back of the net. And then you have the likes of a Darwin Nunez. You combine four, all four of those guys and together, their ability finishing in front of the net is not nowhere near a yarm trip. I think that's what sets him apart. The guy is a natural killer. He gets in front of the net. He gets in the box. Nine times out of 10, he's going to put that ball in the back of the net. Where are the other guys? I don't know if it's confidence. I don't know what it is, but the other Benfica strikers all at one point or another, they struggle with that. Um, and obviously you've seen Darwin Nunez came over to Benfica, uh, Portuguese league record transfer fee, maybe that weight on him. He started off hot, then all of a sudden the pressure started getting on him. And, you know, he was out when knee injury came back and he said he has some mental problems that he had to take care of confidence-wise. And so Yaramchuk has been exactly what Benfica needs, that, that, that product that comes in right from day one that you don't have to sit there and develop and get to, you know, to understand George Jesus' tactics. It's just, look, go play, get the ball, put on the back of the net. That's exactly what he's done. He's had some games better than others, obviously, but some way, somehow he's always involved. And I think he's, he was the missing piece. I do like you know, the Sferoviks of the world. He never gives up. He's got that rasa in him. He's got that attitude. You know, he misses a ton of opportunities, but in order to miss, you got to get in, the, you know, in those places, in those spots to miss those opportunities. So he creates somehow, but I think Yarmchuk is, is, you know, set aside from everybody else. I just think that he's a level above uh, those guys. And the one thing that I put, you know, uh, ahead of everybody else is um, his fin- finishing ability. One of the, shall we say, the most controversial positions in, in Benfica last season was the goalkeeper position. Obviously, Benfica have had a, a, a impressive string of, of goalkeepers in recent years, you know, looking at the likes of Ederson and Jan Oblak. We saw Helton Late join from Morrench, I believe. Boavista. Boavista. Boavista, my mistake. Boavista in, in the summer of 2020. And uh, eventually, I think midway through this season, um, he ended up benching Odysseus Lachodimos, um, who had arrived uh, previously from Hazrikos. Hazrikos, right? Good thing we got the Benfica expert here. <laughs> they can correct me on this information. Lachodimos has regained his starting spot, though. Become pr- played pretty much every single game, I believe, for Benfica this season. This season um, ahead of Helton Late, as well as Milos Spilar. Remember him? <laughs> what have you made of Lashadimos in goal so far? Do you think that he is Benfica's best option ahead of a Helton Late and Mils Filar? Overall, what would you say are his biggest strengths and his biggest weaknesses as a goalkeeper? So much to unpack here. So when Benfica signed Helton Late from Boavista, I was told by someone at Seychelles that I can't disclose who, but trust me on this, that by the end of the season, Elton Late would be starting over Vlacodimos. And that's exactly what happened. I think Elton was able to come in and command his box um, and take control of that defense. And Benfica, you know, they had their ups and downs, but I don't think any of the downs were his fault. You know, I think Benfica last year was just, you know, struggling at times. You could just game in, game out. 
you could absolutely, before the game starts, and you knew they were going to allow two goals. That defense was atrocious. And so when Selton comes in, he starts taking control of the box and things picked up. And Benfica started getting on a little bit of a streak, but it wasn't enough, uh, you know, to make up the difference with, with the other two, uh, with uh, between Porto last season and Sport. I shouldn't forget. I keep forgetting. I mean, this is once every 20 years, bro. You get what I'm saying? It's it's hard to put wrap your mind around it. But uh, but he goes into the to 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 the Taça de Portugal final. Ball plays the ball's played through. Elton Lake comes out, commits a bogus foul. Really doesn't. I mean, if you go look at replays, I still haven't seen. I'm not being a Benfica here, Zach. I still haven't seen a replay, a clear replay, where it shows that he made contact with the with the forward, but the forward went down. And he got a red card. Blocko Dimos comes in. Benfica winds up losing the game on a crucial, crucial Blocko Dimos fumble. So it was just like, okay, you can critique Helton, but Blocko Dimos made a bigger gap. So starting next season, I think Helton Late's going to be the starting goalkeeper once again. We've seen Blocko Dimos play in the preseason. We just figured, look, and then Blocko Dimos in the offseason. I should, I should add this. Blocko Dimos in the offseason gave some controversial uh, interviews. And criticized Benfica, he criticized the whole situation. And I know George Zeus wasn't happy about it. So we all speculated. We all thought his, his days were numbered. So we've seen him playing in preseason. We figured, ah, oh, this is getting his value up. And then it was just game one, game two, game three. And look, to his credit, you know, he's been magnificent in between the pipes. He, 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 you know, and so to my surprise, because I think if it was up, if it was up to me, and again, I'm not at practice every day, but if it was up to me, I would have given it to late because I like the quality. His quality is better than I do in the Vlaco Dimos. I think you asked about what are his positives and his negatives. And I think Vlaco Dimos in between the pipes, he's phenomenal. He's got cat-like reflexes, right? The dude just shot blocking. He's tremendous. His negatives is he can't come out of his box. He's okay with his feet. Crosses, forget about it. He doesn't catch any crosses. And so in a team like Benfica that plays in a league where 98% of the teams are inferior competition. Benfica is going to be on the attack in every single game. Everybody's coming on a counter attack. When you do get across into the box, if you just catch the damn ball, you know, and then you spring one of your wingers, one of your strike, whatever, whether you kick, you throw, whatever, you start a quick counter. That's half the battle for Benfica. But what he does, no, he punches everything out to corners, shots, free kicks straight at him instead of catching it. No. Punches it out. He's constantly giving the ball to the opposite, and he continues to do that this year. You barely ever, ever, ever see a block of demos come out for a cross and catch it. And so I think that's the one aspect that Elton Late is 100 times better than he is, and he's a lot better with his feet as well. So I think those are the qualities that George Jesus admired in him. But to his credit, Vlaco Dimas has been spectacular for Benfica. He's kept Benfica in a lot of games. I know Benfica's played a lot more games where they demolished the competition, but there's been some tough games. And to his credit, he's come up every time when he needed to come up. So uh, it takes some type of perseverance. It takes an attitude. It takes a mental chip to keep that going. And he's done exactly that. Where a lot of other goalies, a lot of other players would have just packed it in. And to his credit, he has it. And so for that, I'm a fan. One of the byproducts of Benfica's heavy spending in recent years has been having a bloated squad, of course. And, and that's something that we've talked about a lot. You know, Benfica were able to get a few decent sales, looking at Pedrinho to Shakhtar, Luka Waldschmidt to Wolfsburg, Nuno Tovarez to Arsenal. But in general, you know, it, they were forced to have to loan out quite a few players. Thiago Dantas going to Tondela, Florentino Luis to Hitafe, Nuno Santos, one player we've featured recently on the show as a town of the week, doing very well at Passos Gipeira. One player, though, I would argue the most talented of the bunch who is really thriving outside of Benfica, outside of his outside of his boyhood club, is Joao Philippe or Jota. Mm -hmm. Now, Jota is a player who first came to my attention in, I believe, 2018 in the U19 Euros. Portugal missing quite a few big players such as uh, Joao Felix and I believe Jetson. Jesse Fernandes, mm -hmm. uh, Diogo Leite, Rafael Leo, you know, pl plenty of big name players still absolutely destroyed the competition and won the U19 Euros. And a big part of that was Jota's performances on the left side of attack. Finished as a joint top scorer in the U19 Euros, getting With five goals, just absolutely massive alongside 
the likes of uh, Trincao, Fran- mm-hmm. Francisco Trincao, who was is his partner on the other side of attack. Jota, though, hasn't really gotten much in the way of consistent opportunities at Benfica. Spent a year uh, on loan in Real Valladolid, and now currently at Celtic, where he is playing under Ange Postecoglou. Post- I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. It sounds but, great to me. <laughs> but um, but I, I should mention, this is not a dry loan. This is not a dry loan in that Celtic have an option to buy Jota for 6.5, a reported fee of 6.5 million pounds, mm-hmm. which I think that looking at his talent, looking at his performances at Celtic, and by the way, if you haven't, uh, yet, make sure to check out Sean McGinley's fantastic article on Jota's importance on BTLVid. Absolutely brilliant analysis on just what he is offering uh, to Celtic. You can find it on breakinglines.com. Really good article on Jota. And overall, I, I feel like he's just another player who I can see you're rolling your eyes. Right no, I'm now. not. I'm not at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. Another Seychelles player who I think did not get the opportunities. He deserved. Talk to me about Jota. What are your thoughts on his treatment at the club? Do you feel like this is potentially another player who got away from Benfica? I'll start by this. For those of you listening to to, to the Cartolinas podcast um, that are that don't really know about Jota, or João Felipe, right? Go back to 2016, 2017. The big stud in that Benfica formation, it wasn't the other Juan that we've all heard about by now, Juan Felix. It was this kid. This was the kid that much was expected from. And I think he got lost in the shuffle. As you stated before, went to Valladolid, didn't really do much. Comes back to Benfica, gets loaned out to sell. And credit to him. He's doing what he has to do. That's a player, again, that shows and proves to me that he wants to get to the next level. But, and this is not a criticism on Jota, but I think that when you look at everything, right, that you look at all the players that have come out of Seychelles, that have come out of Benfica, you just see year after year, stud going to the EPL, going to La Liga, going to wherever, some of the biggest teams in the world, constantly, year after year. These kids just start to expect that we're the next. Oh, I'm the next. I'm, you know, I'm the man. I'm the next. And all of a sudden, their mind gets gets made up that they don't longer want to be there. And you could tell by the way they play on the field, as if, you know, their body's there. But their mind is elsewhere. And I think some of that may, might have crept into his, into his mind, into his psyche. And, and he wasn't nowhere near the player that we all expected him to be. He had a couple of flashes under Bruno Lage, but that was it. He nowhere consistent. Uh, wasn't making his magical runs down the wing where he likes to dribble, you know, crosses, get players involved. He was a guy that every time he got to play, it seemed like he was always taking a touch too much, too many. It was like, bro, give it up. And he always wanted to impress. And again, maybe he was just putting pressure on himself because every other one of his teammates was probably gone by that time already. The guys that he came up from, you know, through Seychelles with, these guys are playing at Manchester City. They're playing at Atletico Madrid's, Real Madrid's, Barcelona's, whatever. The biggest teams in the world. Uh, Bayern Munich, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, he finds himself being there. He's like, bro, I got to do something to catch the eye. And I think that pressure weighed on him. Went to Valladolid for some reason. I don't know what it was. I didn't pay much attention to him out there, but he didn't get as much playing time as we all anticipated. And so we knew right from then, right from then and there, there was no way he was going to be part of this squad, especially when you got the Everton's of the world. You have the Rafa's on the other side. You have Darwin that could play in the wing. And he's done a phenomenal job this, this year playing on their left wing position because you got Rafa just demolishing the league on the other side. Joel Mario, another guy that's come in fit like a glove has been spectacular at Benfica. So, you knew the spots were limited and Benfica and George Jesus wanted to take that, that roster limit. He wanted to shorten it because I think Benfica had like 30, 30 something, 31, 32 players last season. He wanted to shorten it to like about 25 and I still think that's his intention. And we all knew the fact that João Philippe Jota didn't get much burn last year if I had the lead, that wasn't going to help him any. So, look, credit to him going out there and doing what he has to do. He's tearing... Well, not Taren, I shouldn't say Taren, but he's playing really well. It's early on. He's playing really well, but he needs to carry this consistency throughout the rest of the season. And yeah, I think I, I think for six and a half mil, I mean, you know, that's nothing. And so I, 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 
don't doubt that Celtic will pick up that option. A lot of Benficistas uh, that I know and on Twitter, guys that, you know, obviously conversating back and forth. A lot of people were upset that it was only six and a half. Man. We felt there was no need, even myself. I mean, there's no need to put that clause in there. Let him go out on loan, fine, see what he does, and then bring him up. But at six and a half, that's a bargain for a player of his caliber. Absolutely. Definitely check out uh, the article that we just posted on Jota. Benfica, of course, was selling and loaning out a lot of players. Did manage to get some really important signings, though, in Yaremchuk and Joao Mario. We'll see, you know, how how other players such as uh, Nemanja Radonjic and, and uh, Valentino Lozaro do. But right now, two players who joined in the summer and who've already established themselves as not just starters, but just indispensable to the way that Benfica play under George Jesus, Joao Mario and uh, Roman Yaremchuk. Joao Mario, of course, playing a massive part in Sporting's league title last season, their first league title in 19 years. Seemed like Sporting would sign him on a permanent deal after his impressive loan spell. Didn't work out that way. They pretty much lowballed him in the salary offer, and they, he ended up joining Benfica in a quote-unquote free transfer. But obviously a lot more to that, um, as I'm sure you could talk about. But just talk to me, you know, how, how important has, has, has Joao Mario been for Benfica in this 3-4-3? And also, you know, Joao Mario getting a start um, in Portugal's friendly against Qatar in the Estadio Algarve. Do you think that we, we could be seeing a renaissance for, for Joao Mario, both not just in terms of his club football, but, but country as well? Yeah, for sure. I think anybody that comes to Benfica, especially a Portuguese player, and he's a starter at Benfica, he's going to be part of the national team uh, with ease. And we see that with all three big clubs, you know, to be honest with you. Any one of those guys starts and they get called up. Even you see a guy like him, right, to use him as a perfect example, a guy that had been missing for, what, two years or whatever it was on the national team. He had nowhere to be found all of a sudden. Comes to Benfica. He's been, look, I don't want to say he's been spectacular, but he was, he's been Mr. Consistency. He solidified that midfield. Benfica had a guy that, you know, if you listen to me uh, on a Benfica podcast or you check me out on Twitter or whatever it is, you see I'm always, you know, raving about my boy Adelta Rapp. That's a, perf- a personal favorite. Now, I understand there's limitations to Adelta Rapp. He's not a guy that's a box-to-box midfielder. He's not a guy that's going to do the dirty work. He tries. I give him credit. He's tried. At least other players wouldn't have tried. But he's tried and he's done the very best that he could to turn his career around after five weeks and uh, five years at the beach. But Joao Mario gives you that consistency. He gives you that box to box play. He's a guy that's been playing alongside the, the likes of Weigel and they've tore up the Portuguese league. They've tore up every comp- every midfield that they've played against. They've done really well. I mean, tore up, you know, look, Zach, I, I just I forgot that I'm actually talking to you on a podcast, not on the phone. That's phone conversation. But he's, they've played really well together. That tandem has been fantastic. And Joao Mario is a guy that when Benfica first signed them, brought him back from Inter Milan, a guy that obviously played last year at Sporting. To Sporting, they figured it wasn't that important to them. They had the likes of Mateus Nunes, young player, guy that's got called up as well to the Portuguese national team. They figured, look, we got plenty of options. No reason to go after this guy. And look, as a Benfica, thank you very much. Uh, for letting him slide our way because he's been the the missing piece that we've had in that midfield and credit to him. He's turned it around again. I keep saying this over and over, but this, we just keep talking about players that were going through ups and downs and he's got called up back to the national team. I think he won't have, if he plays to this level, he continues playing to this level at Benfica. I think he's got a spot locked up for himself on the national team. As far as starting, I don't know, but Portugal is stacked. As we know, Portugal's got a tremendous uh, amount of, of, of quality players throughout throughout world football. Uh, they only lack, in my opinion, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, on the defensive line. I should say defensive side of the ball. I mean, like I'm talking about the NFL here. Uh, on the defensive line, but from the midfield going forward, there's just options after options. Benfica, Benfica, Portugal have a plethora of options, and I think he'll struggle um, at times to get in that in that starting eleven. But there's no reason why he could come. He can't come in off the bench, you know, in a game that, that Portugal was winning two one or two nil to, to calm things down and, and you know and, and control the pace of the game, control the game, and and just you know keep the ball away from the opposition. So um, I absolutely think, yeah, as you said, Renaissance man, he's got that in him. 
Portugal uh, obviously still have their uh, World Cup qualifier with Luxembourg to play at the Estadio Algarve. But uh, getting off to an impressive start, this an, another impressive result with a 3 nothing victory against Qatar with Diogo Costa getting his full debut in between the sticks. Talked about him a lot, you know, getting also being awarded with the uh, Primera Liga goalkeeper of the month, well-deserved for the Porto man. Seeing a back four of Diogo Dalot, Jose Font, Danilo Pereira, Nuno Mench, midfield of João Mario, of course, William Carvajal, Mateus Nunes, another interesting uh, debutante, as well as an attacking three of Gonzalo Getch, uh, Andre Silva, and Cristiano Ronaldo. A lot of stuff to unpack there, but the player who I want to talk about didn't start. In fact, he came off the bench uh, for his senior team debut, and that is Rafael Leao. So Leao, uh, after a fantastic start to the season for AC Milan, uh, coming off the bench at halftime for Cristiano Ronaldo um, and getting an assist, assisting Andre Silva's goal in the three, nothing victory. You know, I, I mentioned Rafael on the show last week and in, in my town of the week, it really does seem like he's finally starting to put the pieces together under Stefano Pioli. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, definitely been a just reward for him getting into uh, the Portuguese national team for the first time. Just how big of a role do you think Rafael Leal can play for Portugal in the coming years? Do you think he could potentially be the long-term option in the center forward position? I like Rafael Leal a lot. I've always liked him. Even in his young days at Sporting, I've always liked the kid. I think he has a tremendous amount of potential um, to get to the next level. And I'm glad that I might, at my AC Milan, he's finally put, as you said, put all the pieces together. He's playing with confidence. You see me attacking in. He's, he's you know, tearing apart the, the defense. He's scoring goals. And, and it's important for a player, a young player like that, to, to play, you know, think about it. A youngster like that playing alongside the Ibras of the world, the pressure that these guys are putting on. But at the same time, they're teaching them. And so he's soaking that all in and he's putting it together. And finally, you see it, the whole package on the field and it's resulting into goals. And so I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic for him. On the Portuguese national team, he got a little bit lucky that Rafa picked up an injury, got sent home, and he was called to replace, He was called up to replace him. But you know what? He took advantage of his opportunity. As you stated, had an assist. He had a shot off the crossbar. You could tell he was involved. You could tell this is a kid that you want to see some more. I'd rather see the likes of the Mateus Nunes of the world the, the 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 Rafael Leons over the likes of William Carvalho. I don't understand why this guy's on still on the national team. I understand he's having somewhat of a comeback season at at Betis, but I think he's given it all that we that we need to see on this national team. There's other options, young options. Give me the Palingas of the world. Give me these other guys. Put them on the field. Let's see what we could got what we can get from these guys because I think William Carvalho's better days are far behind them. And so I'm ecstatic when you see the likes of Rafael Leon. I, I think, you know, the future is bright. Portugal is known worldwide for Cork and for Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> you know. But the fact is that Portugal still has a ton of talent. You look at the U-20 team, it's stacked, right? There's plenty of talent that's going to come up over the next two, three years that's going to make a difference. And I want to see these young bucks playing in these meaningless games against the Qatars of the world. No disrespect to them, but it's a glorified friendly, okay? And I want to see these youngsters get those minutes, get those debuts in, get that experience. Because when it comes to meaningful games, that experience is going to pay off big time. And Rafael Leon's getting that, that experience at Milan in the Champions League. He's getting that experience in the tough city, yeah. And now he's putting it together, getting that experience on the Portuguese national team, and I couldn't be happier for him. It is funny how uh, Fernando Santos said that William Carvalho would not be on the Portugal Euro squad if it had not been extended to 26 players. Uh-huh. And then, yet he started both games started, for the first two games. Uh-huh. Right, exactly. Makes no sense, dude. That coach, look, <laughs> thank you for everything you did in 2016. Thank you for the 62 ties and thank you for all that, right? But at the end of the day, you brought the cup home. But I think it's time for you to go. I think he held, he holds Portugal back. And I'll never forget what he's done for us, but it's time for a change. This team it has too much talent to be held back. And I think he holds us back. But look, credit to him. He's brought up the 
the Rafael Leons of the world, the kid Costa, uh, Costa, right from Porto. He's been lights out. Um, reminds me, and I know he gets this comparison often, but it reminds me of young Vitor Bahia. I was I was a little bit young, but I still remember Vitor Bahia in his early days. It was, it was you know played in a fantastic. I think he gave up like five goals that one ninety or ninety one season, whatever it was, uh, as a youngster. And I think this kid is headed down that path. I think this kid could be the future for the Portuguese national team. But again, as I stated before, Portugal has a ton of talent uh, coming up through their youth ranks. So, you know, you're here today, but if you don't keep performing at the level that you're expected to perform, hey, there's there's plenty of other guys lined up to take your spot. Ton of talent. Another player who will be uh, competing with Diogo Costa as, you know, the, the chance to become the long-term uh, option between the sticks for the so-so is Luis Massimiano, who's having a great start mm-hmm. season at Granada. Moving back to Benfica, though, you know, we mentioned they had a, a summer of unprecedented uh, investment, you know, bringing in the likes of Nicolás Otamendi, Darwin Nunes, Pedrinho, Luca Waldschmidt. One player who they didn't manage to bring in was Lucas Verismo, who were they, they were very close to uh, getting a deal done. Failed to get it done in time, though, and uh, were forced to wait until January uh, to bring in the Brazilian defender. You know, Verissimo has been, I think, really important for Benfica's turnaround uh, under George Jesus, shifting to this 3-4-3 system with Verissimo playing on the right side of that back three, Nicolas Otamendi playing as the middle center back, John Bertongen on the left. Just how good has Verissimo been, obviously, back in the Brazil squad? Um, what do you think his ceiling is as a defender? He's a little kamikaze at times. When he comes into tag, he comes into break. He means business. Um, and he could have cost Benfica big time against PSV with an early red card. But, you know, he's, he was able to stabilize that back line. Obviously, you know, Benfica without the Mendy and Vertonghen, two well-seasoned veterans in, you know, 33 and 34. Their legs aren't what they used to be. So Verissimo brings in that speed. He's able to cover a lot of ground. And he's, you know, he's made a huge difference. He allowed Benfica to switch to a 3-4-3. Because when you have the likes of, Orta, of Otamendi and Vertonghen, you're not going to sit either one of those guys. So you have to find the spot for, you know, for, for Verissimo. Going back on your point, when you said Benfica for a reason or for one reason or another, they weren't able to finalize the deal last summer. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they lost that game to Paolo, um that we, you know, we talked about here at the, at the beginning of the pod. When they lost that game, I think all of a sudden, if he's not qualifying for the Champions League and a lot of that investment, because I think they still would have invested even more. They would have brought in more players had they made it to the Champions League. And so I think he was just one of those casualties. But JJ had it in mind that he wanted his guy. And we all know how JJ is. He's going to whine and pout until he gets his way. And he got his way, and I'm glad that he's here. Um, I think he's enjoyed playing in Portugal as well. He's had some, some, some positive things to say gets called up to the Brazilian national team. And now we just take, you know, we hope he takes it to the next level. As far as his ceiling, I like Verissimo, but there's still some parts of his game that he has to refine. Again, that physicality needs to be, make better decisions. Um, he's an absolute animal and you like that in a defender, but he needs to be able to control that at times. And so uh, I think he needs to spend some more time at the Luz to, to you know, refine those, uh, those negatives. Lucas Verissimo, 26 years old, joining from Santos, have been very important for Benfica, as you mentioned, still a lot to improve on. Another Brazilian defender that they have in their squad, though, six years younger than Verissimo, is Felipe Rodriguez da Silva, or Morato, Morato. Uh, who, who joined from Sao Paulo's academy in 2019 and uh, you know has, has had to wait for an opportunity for, for quite a long time, but it seems like he's just on the brink of cracking into the starting lineup. Obviously, Vertonghen and Otamendi and Verissimo are the back three right now, but Benfica are playing a lot of matches, and Morato has already been given several uh, starting opportunities. Otamendi turning 34 in February. Uh, Vertonghen, I believe, He's uh, already 34. 34, right, turning 35. You know, neither of those two are, are spring chickens, obviously. What have you made of Morato? How, how big of a role do you think he can play in this Benfica team this season? Who do you think has the higher ceiling between him and Verissimo? Look, Morato's got a huge uh, role to play this season. I mean, because of, as you mentioned before, 
One center back's 33, soon to be 34. And the other one's already 34, soon to be 35. So those guys have already missed game time this year. And Morato had to step in. And I'll be honest with you, as a huge Benfica that I am, I've, I was like, I was a little bit worried because every time I seen him, he didn't give me that confidence that I expected from a kid that'd been at Benfica for a while, playing on the B team, looked a little bit flat-footed, wasn't sure with the ball at his feet, looked like he was a little hesitant, you know, missing, lacking some confidence. And all of a sudden, he's been able to step in. And I guess the veterans have done a magnificent job of, you know, getting them to believe and getting them to, to fit in well with the team. And he's playing. He's playing really well. He has been playing really well. Lefty center back. There's not many of those. He seems a little slow-footed, but when the guy turns it on, you can tell he's got some wheels. He's a big boy. So there's the, the future is very bright for him. And I just hope that Benfica is able to get the very best out of him, develop him to where we all anticipated he was going to get to. Because when Benfica got him from Sao Paulo as an 18-year-old for eight, uh, 6 million euros, right? That's a lot of money for a kid that just been called up to the main squad at Botafogo. We all thought, okay, this is the future. And all of a sudden, he's buried on the B team for three years. And you start to second guess. You start to doubt because... The kid, if he was the goods, you wouldn't be spending that much time down there as he was. But look, to, to his credit, he's come up. He's grabbed the opportunity by the horns. And I think we have a serious kid that could develop into a serious center back in the near future. He's beat out the likes of Ferro, a guy that has experience at this level, a guy that went out to Valencia on loan playing one game last year. <laughs> it was the first game against Real Madrid. And then I don't think he played another minute, but he came back. Another guy that at one point was tremendous. There's a lot of people that when he came up were saying he was better than the Ruben Diaz because the guy could actually pick out a pass. He could play with the ball at his feet. Totally different class defender than the Ruben Diaz. But then all of a sudden from one day to the, to the next, the switch went off and we've never seen that same federal. So Moratu comes up. He's Like I said, he's played the minutes that he had to play in important games and he's come up, you know, roses in all those games. So I think it's you know, it, it, it's the, the future is bright and I think he's going to play a tremendous amount of minutes because of the mold, you know, the mold um, geezers at the back as well. Uh, still pretty certain that it is, you know, Vertonghen, Otamendi and, and Verissimo until one of them uh, proves otherwise. Moving forward, you know, there's in the, in the left wing back position, Alex Grimaldo doing fairly well um, so far in, in the left wing back position. Right wing back, I would argue that this is probably the most, the most controversial, shall we say, of the positions. You have Diogo Gonçalves, who I would argue is the strongest option right now. You have Gilberto. You have uh, Valentino Lasaro, obviously joining on loan from Inter Milan. Uh, Andre Almeida, who is is the captain, and I would argue the weakest option of the bunch. Gil Diaz, who I thought had a decent uh, cameo against Portimonense. What what's your take on the right wing back position? Who do you think should be starting there? When Benfica, and, and I don't know if I'm one of us is wrong because I thought Valentino Lazaro was on a permanent deal. I wasn't sure yeah. it was on. A, I think it was on a permanent, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, but I might be wrong. But when he joined, yeah. That move received a tremendous amount of criticism because, like, what do you need four right backs for? And that just so happens you have one healthy and the other three are injured. So it's like, it's a good thing we have four. But I do think that our best option, when healthy, it is Valentino Lazaro. Unfortunately, he got hurt against Barcelona last week, and now he's going to spend some time on the shelf. But I do think that one fit, he gives us our best option going forward and defending. He's, he's an absolute tractor, he's got wheels, he's got ability. And we know Benfica attacks a lot down the wings. And I think he could pick out out of the four, out of the bunch, he's the one that picking out of, uh, you know, picks out a cross better than any other ones of those guys. So he'll be able to get involved in that offense. So I think because of that, he's going to win out. Um, Diogo Gonçalves, I expected a tremendous amount from him. He's a kid that came up in the Benfica youth system, played in the Portuguese national team youth rank, you know, all, his whole life, well, not his whole life, but his whole youth career on the right wing. And so Benfica adapted him into a right back. We knew he was going to have difficulties defending, but offensively he shouldn't have no troubles. And I think he struggled at times last year. And so I think, look, Valentino is the guy that's that's going to take this in meaningful games. And then you get the likes of uh, Gilberto Carlos. <laughs> we call him Gilberto Carlos. But Gilberto comes in. He's got a lot of rasa, and he's actually improved this year. Benfica got him last year from Fluminense, if I'm not mistaken, for 1.5 mil for 50% of his pass or whatever it was. And struggle. A lot of people criticize that move big time. But this year, he 
he's actually played well. Right. We talked a lot about uh, Joao Mario as well, his importance. But the player next to him in the double pivot, Julian Weigel, uh, obviously being voted as Benfica's player of the season last season, continued his performances so far, had a masterful performance both on and off the ball in, in their recent 3 nothing victory against Barcelona. Talk to me a little bit about the German midfielder's importance. When he first arrived, he struggled. He came over from Dortmund for 20 mil. He struggled. Um, there was a lot of controversy inside the locker room. There was a lot of you know unhappiness from players. But by all this regular bull crap you get in Portuguese football over salaries and whatnot, and I think a lot of that played with his mind. But I think his biggest problem when he arrived at Benfica was he wasn't sure if he was playing the eight or if he was playing the six. And it was, they kept going back and forth. They juggled, they juggled those positions over and over. And I think it took them a time. Uh, it took them a while to, to get, you know, comfortable to, to take, to take that spot, you know, take the reins of that spot. And he's finally done that this year. I think he's gotten comfortable under George Jesus last year, even last year at the beginning of the season, it took him a little bit. We weren't sure again, was he the prototypical number six that George Jesus likes to play with? He struggled, but he turned it around. As you stated before, Benfica player of the season and this year he started off the season you know going crazy in that game against Barcelona it showed you what what this guy is capable of there's there's tons of rumors in the offseason that Chelsea was interested in him because him and, and Tuchel have worked together obviously they know each other really well uh, he knows what kind of player he is and there's I, I thought for a minute that he was you know he would be leaving when 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 Maite Maite I can't pronounce that dude's name when he arrived, I thought, look, this just goes to show you this is going to be Benfica's number six, and, and it just opens the door for Vigo to leave. But he stuck around, and he's he's adapted to Portugal. He's adapted to the, to the lifestyle that Benfica speaks Portuguese. He attempts to, uh, to, to, to do that daily Portuguese lifestyle, and I think he's really asserted himself, and um, he's been really fantastic player this year. And I know for those of you listening, he's like, oh, bro, this guy's just – everybody's been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, nobody's been bad. Look, they've had their ups and downs, but for the most part, they've been really good. They obviously um, dropped the game this weekend, this past weekend against uh, against uh, Portimonense, as you stated, the first loss of the season. But that was a game that myself as a as a Benfica, I wasn't even look. I was upset with the loss. You never want to lose that. But it was a game that Benfica absolutely dominated. They had like twenty four shots on goal. It was just that day they couldn't score. It was just they they did everything right until they got into the final third and they couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. And credit to the opposition, they took advantage of a corner kick. One of the few times they came to our goal and they scored and they defended well. A lot of people criticized JJ um, leading up to that game in the, in, 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 in the Portimonense press conference leading up to that game. And JJ says, I'll guarantee you one thing, Portimonense is going to defend better than Barcelona. And everybody's like, this guy taking digs. At you know, but it was exactly that. But they were fortunate. Their goalkeeper played you know, out of this world. And Benfica missed a lot of opportunities, but look, they held on for a one nil victory. And I think it's not, you know, the end of, you know, it's not doom and gloom at that Benfica headquarters again, because they played really well. I think people just understand that you're going to have games like this. And uh, fortunately we're still top of the league and there's many more games to come. And Benfica do have a deep squad. You have the likes of PZ. You haven't even mentioned the guy barely plays, but that's the type of caliber of player that's on the bench. I understand he's not a tremendous player. He's been in Portugal for certain, you know, for 10 years or whatever it is, it seems now. If he was any good, he would have been out. But at the end of the day, in the Portuguese league, he's still a really good player, a player that can make the difference at any game, at any moment. And he's still on the bench sender. The adult that opts to the world, Fredo Vicks, uh, is coming back. Uh, Gonzalo Rums hasn't really played much lately, but he's there. You have, Befica just has a plethora of, of other options. Mike, as we stated before, um, that uh, Rajandovic got picked up an injury. Uh, he's on loan for Marseille with an option to buy real cheap, I think. Or I think it's not an obligatory option to buy, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, he's going to be sticking around. There's just so many other options that Benfica has this year. So they're by far, I think, in my estimation, the deepest team in the Portuguese league. Absolutely. I do think they are the deepest squad in the league. What do you think is the, is the Achilles heel of this Benfica team? either tactically or or individually, if there's anything that's going to stop them from winning the league title, which I think has to be the goal for them this season, what is it going to be? Injuries to that back line? I think that's a cop-out. <laughs> you think, I'm just being honest, I think. But, but that's a hypothetical. Like, I'm talking about, like, what, what do you think, like, what have you noticed tactically that's been concerning for you 
Like I, we obviously they could have injuries. Porter could have injuries. Sporting could have injuries. You know, that's just the thing that happens in football. But what do you think? Like apart from injuries, what do you think is their biggest Achilles heel? I don't see one, bro. <laughs> I don't see one. I, I think. I think. Look, I, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll say. I'll say. I'll come up with. I'll come up with one. George Zouk. How about that? Ooh. I think he. I think he's the guy that we've seen him at his best, and we've also seen him at his worst. If JJ just does what we all expect him to do, coaches team motivates his players. He likes to press all the right buttons, but at the same time, when he invents, I think that's when Benfica is at its weakness. And so we never know if Benfica is going to come out in a three-four-three. A 4-4-2. We don't know. We've seen in previous games and previous years at Benfica where you got David Luiz at left back and Benfica's losing like 5-0 to Porto. We've seen those types of moves. So I would think the biggest uncertainty is a George Jesus. But aside from that, only major injuries is going to stop Benfica from really being there at the end of the season, you know, uh, with an opportunity to win the title. Because I just think that they're that much improved. They have options. Um, they could actually sustain... Uh, you know, they could actually get injuries up front and, and be okay in the back line. That's to me the concern. But now since since you asked me, I'll ask you because you you pressed <laughs> me on it. What's in your mind? What's what's holding Benfica back from possibly winning the league? What's the one thing that can hold them back? Aside from JJ, because don't steal that one. I, I mentioned that one. Great question. Um, I think injuries to the back line, you know, we've seen how that's a cop out. <laughs> uh, no, I, I really am not sure. They, they do have a very deep squad. I feel like their options on the flanks aren't, aren't as good as, uh, as I would say, uh, sporting or Porto. They, they're, they're not bad either, but I, I just think, you know, well, like, you got Rafa on the right side. Rafa's okay, as good as any of those options on the other team. Talking about Rafa's role, he's also, he's not really a natural, well, okay, Rafa, I, I think, yes, he plays on the flank, but also you see him kind of dropping into more central areas, almost, you know, playing as... Not no more, not no more, but, not no more. Well, we, I think we saw a lot of that in Portimo Manch's game when... when. But look, Zach, here's the thing. And, 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 <laughs> Why not be No, but I just want to throw this because I want... I'm sorry, you're right. But I wanted to throw this in because we haven't... Re- just yeah. just think about this. The magnitude of player that Benfica signed that we haven't even talked about. He hasn't really taken part in the season. But yeah. you talk about a winger. You talk about an option at the wing. That's Everton Civilini. A guy that's come over for 23 mil. A guy that was expected to perform... Take Benfica to the next level. Gares was was leading the Brazilian national team in goals in the Copa America. Has come over. Has been an absolute bust. So right. if JJ's able to recover this guy, and all of a sudden you got him on one wing, and you got Rafa on the other wing, I, I think Benfica do have options. Okay. Darwin has been playing on a wing. He's been fantastic. Still <laughs> scores two goals a game, but could have six goals a game. Right. But I do agree with you. There are question marks. If Rafa gets injured, who's going to play? It's going to be Peasy. You're okay, but PZ is not a natural winger. But you're all, I mean, for the Portuguese league, that's enough. On the left side, now you got Darwin. But prior to Darwin, you had, you had Everton, and then it was supposed to be Radondovic, what I can't pronounce that dude's name, right? But I, I'll be honest. I'd be lying to you if I told you I knew anything about the guy. I don't know much about him. So I don't even know. Could he, would he be a suitable replacement? I don't know enough about him. I haven't seen him play enough at Benfica. Then on the right side, I think if you really want to bring it back, you can move me. If he could do have four defenders, you could pull Lazaru as a right winger because that's his natural position as well. So I don't want to shortchange Benfica here. I get it. You think the opposition's got better options. Credit to you. But I think if Everton Simbolinha was the player that we all expected him to be, there isn't a player in Portugal at the wing position that's as good as an Everton is supposed to be. And he's not been. So I'm not at this point. He's been here a year and almost a half. So I'm not expecting him to show up next week to the game and be the old Everton. But that's the qualities that he has. That's the quality, the, the you know, caliber of player that Benfica has just sitting there rotting on the bench. Yes, I believe it's been an absolutely massive flop so far. Had some decent games, but uh, I, I definitely think that you look at the pecking order right now. I mean, Darwin Nunes, uh, Rafa, and Yaramchuk is clearly the option in the front three. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Moving on, though, I, w- I want to talk about our talent of the week section. We finish off this podcast with our talent of the week. Last week, I went with Rafael Leal, who I think, you know, deservedly rewarded with a call up to the Portuguese national team. And you know, as I mentioned, could could very well be the long term option 
in that center forward position for Portugal. One player, though, who I, I wouldn't write off, I think may have lesser chances, but I, I think it could be, it, it should definitely be talked about as, as one of those options uh, moving forward in, in the center forward position is Gonzalo Ramos. Gonzalo Ramos, we've talked a lot about this player, um, obviously from the Benfica, Benfica Seychelles Academy, 20 years old, and uh, hasn't gotten much in the way of opportunities uh, under George Jesus this season. Um, came on against Portimonense and, and nearly grabbed himself a goal. But uh, six goals now in 10 games for Portugal's U21 side after grabbing a, I believe, four goals, right? A poker. <laughs> a poker, not that kind of poker in the far as, but so yeah, if, you, poker. if you go before that game, nine games, two goals, it wasn't looking that great. Right. No, that's that's fair. But um, four goals against Liechtenstein's U twenty one side, which obviously you know that's that's a worse team than any any team in the Primera Liga. But overall, you know, he he is a player who, when he plays, he almost always scores. Uh, Benfica, you know, coming coming out of international break with a trip to Trofench for the Tessa de Portugal, followed by a match against. Bayern Munich uh, would expect obviously a lot of heavy rotation in that match. And I, I would definitely expect Gonzalo Ramos to get a starting spot followed by their, their game against Bayern followed by a game against uh, Vizela and then a cup match against Vitoria on October 27th, closing out the month with a visit to Storia Praia, arguably the breakthrough sensation of the season so far. I, I think there's, I think there's enough there's enough games in there for for Gonzalo to get I think two starts depending on how he does. But I'm I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Golden Salo Ramos? What do you feel that he his treatment uh, that 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 George Jesus treatment of him has been about unfair? Overall, what do you think he needs to work on to take the next step in his development? I think he's just a casualty of the numbers, as we stated before. There's five strikers on this team. You have Yaramchuk, Darwin, uh, Seferovic, and Rodrigo Pino, and then he's the fifth guy. He's the youngest guy. Uh, JJ doesn't exactly fall in love with youngsters. So, you know, if you're young and you're playing, you really have impressed them. And, and, and Gonzalo's got the tools. He's got the work rate. He's got the, the ability. But at times in front of goal, you know, misses more than what, we'd all, what we all would like. So I think he's one of those perfect players that should have been sent out on loan. Um, but at the beginning of the season, you weren't sure with, you know, who's coming in and who wasn't going. So they kept them around. But I think he would have been better served going out alone and just playing and getting into some team's rotation in the first league and scoring against, you know, um, major competition in the Portuguese Premier Division. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe that still happens here in the second half. But I do I do agree with you. I think the next game coming out for the Tasa de Liga, he'll get a start. And then the Vitoria game, the cup game against Vitoria, we'll see what happens. There's, you know, is Ferrovic healthy? Is Rodrigo Pinho back? We'll see what happens. If these guys get healthy, I think they're going to need to get some minutes as well because you got to get these guys back in a rotation, back into form. Um, and it's, you know, uh, so again, quality player. Uh, you talked about Leon being the future at the center forward position. I think Gonzalo Ramos might still be getting involved in that conversation in the near future. But right now, still too raw. I think Benfica should have sent him out on loan and, you know, uh, to get that to next step to the development. Absolutely. Um, who is your talent of the week, Cristiano? My talent of the week, sticking with Fika, I'll go with my boy, Jetson Fernandes. Not only because that's my dude, but, all, but because there's a lot of question marks in the Benfica world as to why George Zeus kept him on the team. Hasn't really got much playing time, but when, when he's gotten on into the field, he's actually played really well. I think... On his last appearance, he surprised a lot of people. I think he surplanted a Delta Opt as that next option. And I think he'll get a lot more playing time here coming out of the international break. And I'm talking about in meaningful games. I'm not just talking about Atasa de Cerveja games, meaningful games. We'll see what happens. We'll see that Galatasaray is still interested in him. We we'll see this Turkish teams can't leave him alone. They're still trying to sign him. They'll see what happens come the January transfer window. But I think that, you know, George Zou is going to take him out for a ride a little bit here in the next couple of games to see what we really have. And I think he's a, a, again player that came up with the Benfica youth system, player that's been a part of those international Portuguese national teams. Um, and you know he's been there. He's been one of Portuguese, be, you know, Portugal's uh, best and brightest. 
Um, and I think he's got all the abilities to get to the next level. Unfortunately, I don't understand. And I told him, I texted him, said, I don't understand why you're going on loan to Tottenham. You're never going to play under that, in that squad with JJ, um, with uh, Mourinho. And he did. I think he played like one game or whatever it was. And then he finally he terminated his contract, his loan, and he went to Galatasaray, got some playing time. And players of that age, Gonzalo Ramos included, they're doing themselves no good sitting on the bench. Sometimes it's better to go to Riwa, to a Pasfreda, to a Wovista, and playing meaningful minutes, right? You're not going to have the 60, the, not 60, but the 50,000 at the game week after week. But you're going to play. You're going to develop. And I think these players and their management need to be smarter about where they send these kids. Absolutely. I, I remember saying at the time, I thought this this move was practically career suicide for Jetson. I mean, he wasn't going to get, he's never going to get enough playing time at Tottenham if he wasn't at Benfica. The West Ham would have been a better option. But as you mentioned, you know, taking that ego check and going to a Huav, going to a Tondela, that's something that we haven't seen enough of from, I think, a lot of Portuguese youngsters. Tomas Estevez, I believe, you know, had the chance to to join Vitoria de Guimarães and ended up rejecting it. So now he's stuck in in Porto's youth team. So so I think that we you know it's something that we need to see a lot more of. We'll, we'll see what happens with Jetson, but it is kind of bizarre that Benfica were rejecting offers in the range of what was it like seven point five million for fifty yeah. percent of his pass. Pretty pretty ridiculous amount of money for a player who who isn't going to be you know playing much. Hopefully he does get those opportunities, though, that he has been promised under George Jesus um, because, you know, we, we saw his importance, you know, in Turkey last season at, at Galatasaray. Um, you know, I, I think it doesn't make sense to reject that money, reject that opportunity for, for Jetson to develop with consistent game time when you're not going to play him. We'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, hopefully they're able to give him some minutes in, in the upcoming fixtures. Yeah, without any further ado, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this show. It's a real joy to have Cristiano on, great friend, and uh, always a pleasure to have you on, amigo. Uh, anything else you want to shout out or plug before we finish this? Ah, man, just a huge shout out to you. Thank you very much for all you do for Portuguese soccer. Appreciate everything you do, breaking the lines, cortalinhas, whatever. Everything you guys half the time sounds like you're saying cartolinas, cortalinhas. I don't know what you're saying, but whatever you're saying, Zach, keep it up. You do a phenomenal job, man. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be part of the breaking the lines family, man. And anytime you need to talk about Benfica, I'm here to talk about the other stuff. I, I'd rather go put my daughter to sleep. <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully uh, you can play uh, the last few weeks of, of the Quartelinish podcast. I'll put her to sleep. <laughs> but, um, Definitely play this one. She'll fall asleep right away. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Cristiano, once again. Um, it, was, it was an absolute joy to have you on. Definitely not the last time you will be on the podcast. Thank you much. Thank you so much, everybody, for uh, listening. Make sure to subscribe and uh, let us know if if there's anybody else you'd like to, us to have on the next episode of the Cortellini's podcast.